0: there's this challenge of embrace this new place. It's going to be really hard. People don't know Jesus. They don't necessarily even care about Jesus, but people are going to go to heaven because of what this church is doing in this town. How could I say no to that?
1: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollectivechurch.com/ysm. We hope you enjoy these stories. You are listening to the Your Story Matters podcast, a podcast um, where people from Collective sit down and share their stories. And this has been this year long project. And today we, as we kind of hit this home stretch, we're in part two of CT and Rachel's story. And so, uh, if you're listening to this for the first time, you're new to Collective, you're listening to our podcast. This is a great episode for you to listen to. But I do want to encourage you, maybe pause this one first and listen to CT's part one to really figure out how we we get to the point that we're getting to today and beyond, um, because. At some point during this episode, we're gonna talk about Collective, and we're gonna talk about why a couple kind of stops chasing some dreams and and stops uh, pursuing some things in life to drop everything, to move to Frederick, to help start a church as volunteers. And it's gonna be super inspiring, and you're gonna feel loved and cared for by these people, whether you know them or not. Um, But you really have to listen to CT's story, as well as Rachel's, to figure out why they put so much into this place and why you feel the way you feel, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about um, specifically why uh, I asked them to do this with us and and the fruit of that. And so um, definitely listen to this episode, but make sure you listen to CTs as well because you'll, you'll get the fullness of it. And then when you're done with that, listen to all of them because this podcast has been really incredible. And you know, if you, if you trust God or if you're wrestling with God, whatever it may be, uh, the episodes of, of this podcast will help you understand that God is real and he is good. Um, that he's with us in the really low moments, and that he pulls us through those. But then he helps us uh, even more so in, in these great these great moments. And you'll get a lot of that in this episode and in the previous episode. But really, it's about the power of this whole entire thing together. And so, um, so find the time, make it make it a priority because because it, it's worth it. Um, so we just finished up. CT got us to the point, Rachel, where. Uh, you know, there's two moments in his life where he felt 100% that God is like, this is it. One of them is going to Milligan and the other one is hanging out with you in DC. I'm gonna marry this girl. Spoiler spoiler alert, uh, at that point CT and I still super close and he's like, I'm gonna marry this girl. And it was like, all right, like your life has been chaos up to this point so maybe that's it. Um, But take us back to the beginning for you and help us get to that point. Um, but talk to us about uh, childhood, where'd you grow up, family dynamics, and faith, because um, your life and CT's life were very different, Very different, specifically faith-wise. And if you just lay out the facts, there's no way you guys should be together and have <laughs> met, but you did. So get us to that point. Start from the beginning.
2: Man, so true. Okay. So um, I have a lot of similarities with some other people that have recorded on this podcast, and I really appreciate I'm sharing because I have felt very encouraged to go back and really think about my story uh, because there have been a lot of parallels. So um, I grew up north of Baltimore. I was born to two artists. My parents um, both went to art school. That's where they met. So they were very poor when I was born. We lived in a teeny tiny house um, for the first four years of my life. And it was great because I was the only kid and I got all the attention. (laughs) As most firstborns can probably relate to, uh, it was a fun time. And then my brothers were born. Yeah, uh, I have twin brothers whom I love dearly. Um, but it definitely changed my world as a four-year-old. It definitely changed the dynamic of our family. Um, my parents both worked and they worked hard, uh, but now they had to work harder because they had three kids. They were not expecting my brothers to be twins. They're identical, so. I was four, my dad was working really hard, my mom decided that she couldn't work because she now has three kids. Um, My grandparents, my mom's parents, they lived very close to us in Bel Air and um, they were my world, my grandparents. Wonderful people, just super loving and very nurturing and gave me the attention that I needed and the attention that I had um, from my parents before. But my brothers, required a lot of care. They were both premature. They weighed three pounds and five pounds when they were born, wow. so they were in the hospital for a while. And when they got home, uh, they still needed attention basically all the time. And there are two of them, so they need to be you know, fed and changed and cared for pretty much around the clock. And while my grandparents were around a lot, they weren't around all the time. And so I feel like I took on this role of a second mom Simple things like getting diapers or sitting with one of the boys while my mom would do something else turned into changing diapers and feeding them and getting them dressed. And what what I've learned over the years about oldest children is that they already feel a sense of responsibility when they're born. It's just like an innate part of who we are. But it was amplified sure. so much yeah. when my brothers were born because um, I feel like I just wasn't really able to be a kid for the most part so home life was very much I got my value from helping yeah and from being the responsible one and from for being the one who could take care of people um, I did live on a really great street so I lived on a cul-de-sac it was the 90s so most parents let their kids go outside and play we played kickball and kick the can and at least an outlet for me um, that I could sort of be a kid. But meanwhile, always kind of feeling this sense of being the one who always followed the rules and the one who cared for other people um, was something that I just really felt from a very, very young age. And my dad at that time uh, had a job at an ad agency and one of their clients picked him up and he started working for a bank and at that point his hard work turned into like all consuming work so where he worked a lot before now he was traveling he was going international he would be gone for wow. several weeks at a time and as a young kid you know uh, your parents are really important to you so that was really hard for me to be home by myself with my mom and my two newly born brothers who again i felt very responsible for Um, And I feel like my relationship with my mom at that point kind of turned almost more into like a friendship than a mother-daughter relationship because she needed me and she really had no one else because we couldn't leave the house very much because she has three young kids that are difficult to manage. Um, I think at one point we didn't even have a car that we could all go in.
1: in. Yeah, because yeah. So, it's the 90s. Yeah. You know, it's not the same as it is now. Three car
2: seats. I mean, it was, we had like a little tiny white Subaru that, yeah, pretty sure we couldn't all fit in. So we were home a lot. Yeah, I felt like um, with my mom now looking back that it was more of a, more of a friendship than it was like a mother-daughter relationship, with, which only like underscores this sense of me growing up really quickly and never having that like carefree childlike innocence that's not a time in my life that i ever remember yeah so my my family was catholic Um, my dad converted to catholicism in order to marry my mom which is a whole process for anybody who doesn't know you have to like go to classes and i don't know get some special oil or blessings (laughs) or something and then you're good to go so (laughs) so uh, my parents are catholic so we go to church every sunday um, on Sunday nights, we go to this thing called adoration, where they put this big gold shrine-looking thing with a wafer in it, and you're supposed to pray to it and bow to it. And I'm sorry, it's a whole thing.
1: Was it Jesus?
2: No. It's the Eucharist.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is it just like the shrine's just like a hand holding something?
2: Oh no no, it's like a, a golden statue trophy a looking calf, thing. a golden
1: calf. I, I'm just like so. I'm it like. It has a
2: little window in it, and they put the wafer in there, and it's like a sunburst, like a golden sunburst looking thing with a wafer in the middle, and you pray to it, <sighs> and you adore it.
1: You know, one of the things about people know I didn't grow up going to church. I'm 37. And there are still things I'm learning about Catholicism and religion in general. That is one of the weirdest things I've ever heard. I'm just gonna say You're it. okay. <laughs> so, all right, I'll just Google it later later. I, I like can't even imagine what this is like. And also, we've had other people on the podcast who, grew up Catholic and they haven't mentioned this before. Uh So I'm like flabbergasted by- This is
2: like for the hardcore ones though, Michael. Oh, okay, so So nobody else is hardcore, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Sorry, Let's let's,
1: (laughs) I need to jump back though because (laughs) I'm just now learning this about your dad that he converted to Catholicism. Was there religion in his life previously?
2: Yes, he grew up Brethren, which is in the Church of Friends. Yeah. So he was that for his whole life until he met my mom, who his family lovingly refers to as the crazy Italian. (laughs) So my dad sure, sure, was a little yeah. bit rebellious, and this was one of his ways to rebel was to marry an Italian Catholic, so he converted.
1: Yeah, I've got so many questions that aren't going to end up on this podcast that we need to talk about as friends because I'm so confused right now. Um, so for people who don't know, like the, the Brethren Church Friends, um, actually the denominationally, is kind of in line eventually with Quakers, Mennonites. It's kind of like a few steps before that. Um, doctrinally, biblically, mostly similar teachings to collective. You know, we, we have a little bit more emphasis on, on certain things. You know, it's, it's not too different. Although, like, the way they do church is very different, right? On the scale of Catholic to collective, brethren's definitely closer to the Catholic side of things, not as far, like, traditional as that. Um, so the conversion portion, like, it's a leap, but it's not, like, a huge leap, but one thing I am interested in is the fact that like your dad converts, but then it becomes a major part of your life, Major part, right? Like yes. that to me is a little bit of a whiplash mm-hmm. going from, you know, like Catholicism isn't his childhood. There is no family history there. Now, Italian Catholic, all the tradition Legacy, and history there, yes. you know, that that's a lot, yeah. um, which obviously you were born into that. So you didn't see that change, but you guys were like heavily involved in the Catholic church, even from a young age. All right, so so you worshiped uh, a cracker, yes. and then what else was that like yes. for you?
2: So church was a really big part of our life growing up in the sense that we never missed a Sunday, unless you were like literally on your deathbed ill, you did not miss. We went to this thing called CCD, yeah. which is essentially the Catholic equivalent of Sunday school, except that you don't actually learn anything about jesus god or crack open a bible it is mostly about catholic traditions and the history of the church and all the popes and what they changed and things that really don't help you in your faith at all
1: yeah the the correct term for this is indoctrination sure like and i'm not trying to be harsh on people who grew up catholic because a lot of people say like hey that created good roots in me later but then they also had to rest with do i even believe in jesus like is my faith my faith like all of those things but you know ccd a lot of it is like this is our history, yep. you know, and it's n- neglecting the history of the kingdom of God yep. and, and talking specifically about you are a Catholic, therefore this, is, this, this, and this. Yep. Um, which CCD spends a lot of time telling you why you are what you are rather than like having this personal experience with Jesus. right? And you do that through most of your elementary years, correct?
2: Yeah, it was just what we did. Um, at some point, my sister was born and uh, we moved to a different house still within Bel Air. So I lived there my whole life. But again, underscoring this, like, you're the big sister, you're the responsible one, and then having this church that is all about rules. And I enjoyed following the rules, but it was also very suffocating for me because it drives you to the point where I don't know how you couldn't turn into a perfectionist. Like, there's just so many rules around you that you're trying to, meet those expectations you're trying to follow those rules you're trying to be the helper you're trying to care for everyone it's a lot for a little kid yeah
1: it also too teaches you that you have to earn
2: 100 grace
1: earn favor earn love um, which is not what jesus tells us to do or, or how we're supposed to live but like for you you're kind of double dipping on that in your life right like as a kid you're like I'm not going to cause problems. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to be helpful so that I experience the love or hopefully experience the love that I wanted in previous experience as an only child. But your church life is that as well. So ultimately, your entire life as a child is you trying to do the right thing so that you can be good and loved. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I remember in my elementary school years especially, My mom would reserve this statue of Mary, and you had to get on a list in order to get her. It was called the Lady of Fatima. She would come with all these prayer cards. And my mom would force us to sit in this living room where she was on this pedestal, and we had to pray to her. So between Sunday morning church, which was extremely boring— CCD which was about church history and then these other things that we prayed to I would say that church was not a fun experience for me whatsoever. Sure. If my mom and dad gave me a piece of paper and a pen and I got to doodle during church instead of paying attention, I was on cloud 9. Yeah. Like that was the best Sunday and it rarely happened because you know, I was expected to sit and stand and be yeah. quiet and eat the cheerios if I could sneak one from my brothers. Like I just Yeah. That's what church was to me is like this very intangible God who makes a lot of rules, a Jesus who I see hanging on the cross every Sunday and looks very depressed and ominous and just sad, honestly. And then all these rules to go along with it with Mary and all these other saints who are also watching me and everything I do. (laughs) So it was just a very rigid, structured, there was no grace, there was no fun, there was no joy. Um, church is not a place that I went to and thought I could be happy here. Yeah. It was a place that I furthered my sense of responsibility, furthered my, yeah, rules, structure, boundaries, like it created, I guess, structure in my life, but to the point where it was almost like to a fault. Yeah. Um, and so in middle school, I remember, so I had a, a really good friend um, who is actually a cousin of Chris Wells because, you know, our stories are just <laughs> yeah. always intertwined in this, this church. But anyway, uh, so my best friend growing up uh, took me to her youth group for the first time in middle school. And that was the first time that I saw Jesus in a different way. And I was shocked that my parents let me go yeah. because it was yeah. at a Methodist church.
1: When Methodist is like a step up for fun, (laughs) you know, because the Methodist church comes from a split back in the day, but like it was like essentially the the Catholic church and the Anglican church, the Church of England split and Methodist comes from that. And so like if you were to like put them in a scale, like Catholic being like the most rigid, Methodist isn't like aggressively far on the other side. It's just not as rigid. Yeah, Yeah, that's great.
2: So that was the first time that I really felt like I could breathe is really what it was, is that um, they made it a little bit fun and I was allowed to like take a drink of water more than an hour before service, before we went on a Sunday morning, uh, which was a rule that I was not used to. And coming out of just a couple times that I went, I really thought like maybe this is something that I want to learn more about they actually opened their bibles on a sunday morning which made a lot of sense to me but then caused me to question everything that i was doing in catholic church like why don't we do this because they're there they have bibles in the church but they rarely get used and certainly not in a way that connects with people personally and this is just rachel's opinion but as a kid growing up it just really was not meaningful to me at all And so um, I would say middle school is really where I started to question some things. I didn't really know what to do with that questioning, but I started to question. And then when I got to high school, um, they brought Young Life to my high school. And I know people have lots of opinions about Young Life, and that's totally fine. Um, Mine was a very positive experience, and I'm super grateful for it. Because that was the first time that I heard, Jesus wants to love you, specifically, Rachel. And I had never heard that before. Yeah. And I wanted more of that. I didn't think that I was worthy of any of it, but I wanted more, which created a huge tension and divide between me and my parents because I didn't wanna go to Catholic church anymore because I didn't ever get that feeling once, going to Catholic church. Um, I will also say that there were two Catholic churches in town. One was extremely traditional, and one was slightly more progressive in the sense that they had a contemporary service where they brought out a guitar. Yeah. I, of course, went to the more traditional one. None of my friends went to the traditional one. They all went to the other slightly more fun one, and my parents would not budge. Like They never would let us even go to this other one. In my freshman year of high school, my church asked me to be A eucharistic minister which is the person who passes out the eucharist and has the wine and my parents were like over the moon I was the youngest person ever at that church to be given this honor I'm using air quotes of being a eucharistic minister and at the time it felt like they were trying to use it as a retention strategy because they knew that I was trying to find my way out yeah as soon as I got my driver's license I was like I want to go to a different church and so I feel like by them giving me this position of honor, which is something that, you know, as being a type A person, I value achieving and being given responsibility because that's all I had known my whole life. I think they saw it as this really good thing or like, we're going to try to use it. <laughs> use this to keep her here basically but I didn't want anything to do with it so I did it a few times because they put me on the schedule and I felt like I had to but my heart was not in it at all which also made me feel guilty because I was like this is church and it's supposed to be a good thing like I'm supposed to feel good about this I'm supposed to feel like I am you know in this leadership position and I am really young and they're doing a good thing for me and I'm not honoring that by being really excited about this. At the same time, my dad was studying to become a deacon in the church because we didn't have enough involvement as it was being there multiple days a week and leading the hospitality committee and teaching CCD and doing all these other things. So uh, my dad felt strongly that he wanted to become a deacon, which again, just further emphasized this like rules 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 mentality because he would then become an enforcer of yeah. those rules yeah in the catholic church and at the same time just still being really busy like my dad was working all the time still and when he wasn't working now he had this other thing that was taking him away from our family which was his studies and writing all these thesis papers and whatever else he had to do to become a deacon i kind of checked out of yeah. that part because yeah. i didn't really care at the time sorry dad So it was this time of me wanting to spend time with my friends who wanted to learn more about Jesus because that was where I felt the most free and where I could for a minute step aside from all these responsibilities that I felt like were always, that I was always carrying around and get a peek into who Jesus was. Um, Which again, it was confusing though because my parents and I fought all the time about it Weekly. Sunday morning would roll around, and I would say, I want to go to Mountain. And they would say no. There were times when I went to Mass with my parents to appease them, and then I would go to Mountain afterwards. And I knew that I wanted what they were preaching about. Like I knew that there was something more to this Jesus guy that I had been exposed to my whole life but didn't really understand until high school which i wouldn't even say i fully understood but i was starting to understand at that point in time and so all through high school i mean that was my struggle was with my parents fighting over this thing that should be good but is somehow creating massive amount of tension in my family my parents were still people who influenced my life and people whose opinions were important to me and i wanted to please them and i wanted to do good and yet they didn't approve of my choices and it's like i'm not doing drugs right i'm not you know breaking the law robbing a bank like i just want to go to a different church yep. and it was super confusing to me at the time and painful honestly because i just wanted them to support me yep. in doing this and i felt like i couldn't get that support and so then i entered this really confusing time as I feel like a lot of high school kids do when you have to make the decision of where to go to college. I was so torn that I had like decision paralysis. I just, I knew that I, at the time I said, I don't wanna to go to school in Maryland because I wanted to get away from my parents. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I didn't even apply to any schools in Maryland. And I was torn between Virginia Tech and James Madison I literally flipped a coin and ended up at James Madison. I was there on a scholarship and I went to the business school. I knew a few kids from high school, but not people that I was super close with. And immediately, like as soon as my parents left, I was just heartbroken. Like I knew that something was very wrong and I couldn't recover. The whole semester, I just went to a very dark place. I showed up at things like Young Life to try to get involved. I tried to go to different like happy hour type events or football games or whatever, and I just never connected with people there. So after about a month, I applied to Maryland because I knew that this was not going to be the place for me for all four years. And so I applied to Maryland, but in the meantime, I was pretty much going home every weekend. Um, I completely drained my bank account all my savings that i had up to that point going home because i was miserable developed a very severe eating disorder uh there were a lot of girls there who there's this weird culture at jmu that's like we're the pretty school it's about 65 35 females to dudes so there's already this like overwhelming mean girl catty sorority culture but then on top of that there's so many girls that you feel like you're competing for these guys' attention, which was a theme throughout my whole life that I didn't really mention in my chronological story. But because my dad wasn't around a lot, I feel like the men in my life who were around had a really big influence on me. So I had many boyfriends in, co- in high school, none of which were super meaningful or consequential, I guess. But I was always looking for that person, like seeking it out. Yes. And seeking that attention from a male figure in my life. And so I feel like when I got to college, it all kind of came to a head because college is where you're supposed to find your person. And so I hadn't found my high school sweetheart, even though a few of my friends had people from high school that they continued to date in college, which I thought I had already failed because I didn't find my person in high school. So then when I got to college, I'm like, okay, like, Brand new pool of people. Like I'm gonna find my my guy, but that wasn't gonna happen. And on top of that, I wasn't making like female friends either. My roommate was basically nocturnal. She would like stay up all night and then sleep all day. <laughs> college so
1: college man. I yeah.
2: Like she was would have been like my wingman or like my one person that you know you sort of bond with because you have to, and then you can go out and do things together. <laughs> Side note, I. I specifically chose the substance-free dorm at JMU because I knew that I wasn't going to be, like, the party girl. But later found out when I got there that everyone else on my floor went to one of two high schools in Richmond, Virginia, and they only chose the sub-free dorm so that they could be together, not because they actually wanted to be substance-free, but they knew that if they chose that, that it would guarantee that they would be at least neighbors, if not roommates. So I'm, like, the odd man out. Um, So I ran all the time. I decided I was going to train for a triathlon. I bought a scale. I would literally weigh myself every single day, make sure I was consuming less calories than I was uh, burning off, and that became my life. I did okay in school, but I was so hungry all the time. I would wake up in the middle of the night because I was so hungry, and I would eat a carrot, and then I would go back to sleep.
1: When you're going home on the weekends, did your parents like notice, did they say anything? You know, because to come home every weekend, one, like that's a sign that things aren't going well. But like, obviously if they don't see you for a few weeks at a time, a few days at a time, if you're coming back and you're like looking different every single time, obviously these are some major red flags. Like, was that something that was noticed when you came home? Were you like just praying and hoping they would notice? you know like what was that like
2: i mean a little bit it's hard because on the one hand you're at the school where people are praising beauty and part of that is being thin and so in one sense i was like i'm doing it i'm doing the thing i'm achieving the image that everybody's looking for but then on the other hand i was like my heart is breaking i'm depressed i have no friends and i hate this place and i think at the time my parents they were just like happy to have me home, I guess. Sure, they never sure. really said, hey, why are you coming home? Or you should stay and try to make friends or anything like that. It was just them. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that they welcomed me home, but at the same time, I never really gave it a chance, which maybe is for the best now. I mean, we see God working in different ways in our stories. And I really feel like, It would have ended poorly for me had I stayed there yeah so I didn't have a church that I connected with either when I went to JMU Um, many of them were very traditional yeah I tried a couple of them and I just didn't connect and there wasn't like a healthy non-denominational church for me to go to which after experiencing something like Mountain that's that was in my mind where my bar was set. Yeah. I was like, it doesn't have to be exactly the same, but that's the type of church that I'm looking for, and I just never found it.
1: Yeah, and then two two quick things about that. One, JMU um, devours churches. So I've had friends try to plant there and they don't make it six months. Um, it's because it's only a college town. Yeah. There's nothing else there. Um, the other part of it though is culturally, like you said earlier, JMU has a, has a interesting culture when it comes to like, it's a bit narcissistic, mm-hmm because JMU is constantly ranked as one of the best looking schools in America. And it's, it's an area that for us as church planners and like in the organization, we're part of waypoint waypoints tried and they've all failed. So that's the first thing. The second thing is like, we've talked about mountain a little bit. And if you listen to the whole podcast, like we talk about mountain from time to time, because there are people who grew up at collective uh, or who are at collective, who grew up at mountain mountain is at this time, like when you were going there, it was in the thousands. Now it's like, 8,000 people. Multiple campuses for the East Coast specifically. One of the largest non-denominational Christian churches on the East Coast. They're a machine. And I say that in the best type of way. It's a good church. But that bar is really high. And so eventually, like for JMU, for you, you said you made it a semester, right? Or did you yeah, go a whole year? Yeah, I
2: applied one month yeah. after I got there. And I applied to Maryland. Um, part of that was I had friends that had already gone there, and at that point, I just needed something that was a little more familiar. So where I thought that that's not what I wanted, it turned out I did. So after the first semester, I got into Maryland. I was on the wait list for housing, so I actually commuted from Bel Air to College Park for several weeks until I could get a place in a dorm. I ended up in a dorm with three other girls which in and of itself was a very interesting experience that I could go on for a while, but did not know any of them. None of them were Christians. Uh, It was the typical college experience in our room, aside from me. Um, But while I was there, I joined InterVarsity. There was this guy on my floor who was a nut and probably doesn't even know that he in any way impacted my story. But anyways, he was flyering all the doors and (laughs) put one on my door for... University and I was like, yeah, sure, whatever I'll go. So I showed up and That was really the turning point for me that I was like, okay, I think I can find my way here. Yeah, I Was a pre-med major at the time which my classes were really hard and I did not enjoy science as much as I thought I did
1: I don't know if anybody does yeah, <laughs> <That's> it, it,
2: <laughs> Academically that semester was really hard for me But in so many ways, that first semester that I was at Maryland, it really changed where I had been and pulled me out of this dark place. I found friends, started working at the gym, so I felt like I had purpose again, I guess. And I had this after-class, after-school club that I was a part of that was teaching me about Jesus and had people who I felt like were really starting to care about me. Maggie was there, so another way that our stories intersect here but Maggie was at Maryland and was also part of InterVarsity so it was an opportunity for us to grow in our friendship and to continue learning about Jesus together which was really comforting for me. Um, At the same time I was still struggling with my body image because I had been so anorexic for a really long time now I'm in this place where I feel a little bit more comfortable. I have people that are inviting me to things like dinner and late night and things that involve eating, which was something that I wasn't used to eating with people because I would hide what I was eating, you know, for the past however many months that I had taken to this habit. And so then it became like, man, everybody talks about the freshman 15. Like, this is where I feel like it's going to happen because I'm going to lose control. And that's really what it was. It was like this part of me the part of my life that I felt like I could control and I was holding on tight to that Um, and my eating disorder morphed into different types over the years but it was really until like two years after college that I continued to struggle with anorexia and bulimia All the while, you know, trying to make good grades and be really involved in all the extracurriculars because that's what I had done in high school. So that's what I was gonna do in college and take on all the responsibility and care for all my friends and make birthday cakes for them and be the mom on campus because nobody had a mom and that's what I was good at. I dated a couple of guys during college and I was always looking for this Christian, Man, that I had now learned about through a little bit in young life, but mostly through inner varsity that like this guy exists who wants to be a leader of your relationship and wants to guide you to Jesus. And that was a concept that I had never heard before. My dad has a very domineering personality, but I didn't ever feel like it was because he was trying to lead my mom to Jesus. I think he just likes to be in charge. Yeah. So this was a completely foreign concept to me. But then because I had had this thread in my life of wanting male attention and affirmation from men, then I'm like, oh, this is a thing I need. Like, this sounds great. It's what I've always been looking for. Plus Jesus. (laughs) Like, how could this be bad? I have to find this guy. So where I had always thought, like, I'll be the girl that's married and having babies like right after college and that's what i always wanted because hello i wanted to be a homemaker because that's how i grew up was as a second mom so then i could do it for myself and i was really excited for this so i tried dating a couple different guys and one of them went to a pca church which is also very traditional and very structured and in some ways was familiar to me but in other ways i was like i just really feel like this isn't it He was a very nice guy, but wasn't the one. So that relationship ended. And then I got caught in this weird place um, in my senior year. So we were at a Christmas event. They called it the Ivy Ball. And it was in December, right before we went on break for the holidays, where this guy that I had recently broken up with and this other guy who was interested in me literally got into a fist fight over me. And I was destroyed. Yeah. Uh, It was embarrassing. It was hurtful. I had no idea what was happening. I didn't know how to stop it. I just left and got in my car and cried for a very long time. I just didn't know what to do with that and I still had one more semester to go. I felt like I had made a mistake letting this relationship go, but then I didn't know what the possibility of this relationship could be. And I just wanted somebody. I just wanted my person. I wanted somebody to spend time with. I wanted somebody to care about me in the way that I felt like I had cared about everybody else. and it was really hard to navigate because it kind of split our our friends a little bit too. I think they were confused. I think um, people had a lot of opinions about it, and I felt like I was on public display. and so that. Thankfully, there was a break coming up so I could go home and detach from it for a few weeks. But that was definitely like a traumatizing event in my life as it pertained to the choices that I was making about the males in my life. Because if I look back, yeah, emotionally, I was probably leading both of them on because I just wanted that so badly that, yeah, I was um, emotionally connected with two people at the same time. And that should never be. Um, so it all came to a head and in my last semester i feel like i favored the one guy who i wasn't previously dating but we weren't actually dating but we were like exploring what maybe that would look like and at the time he was super depressed like he had many issues of his own that he needed to work on and i thought i could fix it sure i i told myself i would never be like the missional dater but i'm also somebody who likes to help people and so i feel like i got caught in that a little bit and it got to a point where i was like this is not the person for me and he wouldn't let me go he threatened to kill himself he was super controlling at the slightest hint that i might want to end this he like lost his mind I prayed that God would give me a way out of this relationship because I I couldn't figure out how to talk my way out of it. Like he would, he was just relentless. And so I prayed that God would show me a way out. And this was like the year after college at this point. And a friend and I had stayed close to his place. And as I was leaving, like we each went to work the next morning. And as I was leaving, I got mugged at gunpoint in Alexandria. Looking back, I probably should have died because I was a complete idiot to this guy. But somehow, God was there. And he saved me. And in a very dramatic way, I broke up with broke up with this guy that I was sort of talking to because he didn't come see if I was okay. Wow. And that was the final straw that I said to myself, I deserve better than this. And if you're not going to come be with me, After this super traumatic thing happened, I don't have time for you. But it did set me on this really weird spiral of this, like, constant need to try to find that person. Because it it wasn't this guy now. And God got me out of this situation. But then immediately I was like, well, who's it going to be? Like, I'm looking for the next guy. And when I moved home, I got into a relationship with a guy who I had known in high school. His family knew my family. They were Catholic, which was really appealing to my parents. Sure. And for the first time, I felt like I had harmony between the guy I was dating and my parents, yeah. basically, because they never approved of any of my other dating relationships because nobody else was Catholic. And because this had been a really big struggle for me in high school and college, for once, things were aligned. And so I was attracted to him. like. We had a good time together and we had this church thing in common i really wasn't interested in going to catholic church anymore but because my parents approved i was like okay let's give it a shot like i've never dated a fellow catholic person before so let's see how it goes after many months like almost a year um he ended up um turning to drugs he became a different person Um, If he was on them before, I couldn't tell, but he became really addicted to the point where, like, it was undeniable. And his mom called me one day at work and told me that she was checking him into a facility. Um, I had no idea that it was that bad. I had seen a couple things in his room at one point that I was like this kind of looks suspicious but I don't know anything about drugs so it was like a spoon sure. or like some weird blue residue or whatever but I was just like I don't It smells weird but I don't really know what it is so I'm just gonna clean it up and move on um but it ended up that he had a really serious addiction to pain pills and um this was the guy that I was gonna marry, like i he had already bought the engagement ring. Wow. Um, my birthday was a week away, and we were supposed to go away uh, on a hike and I just like I suspected that that's where it was going to happen. But his mom called me and was like, You're not going on this trip. Um, you are not even going to his house tonight when you get off work. You are gonna come over here, and we're gonna talk and I went over to his parents' house, and she told me that. He had had a serious addiction before we started dating, which no one told me about. Uh, And this was round two. And that he was gonna be going away for a while and that I should be the good girlfriend and support him and go with him because that's what he would want. And that's what a, a good girlfriend would do. Sure. At the beginning of our relationship and through all of my relationships, I had told people that I dated that I had three rules No pornography, no drugs, and no sex. I am not going to budge on this. If you have an issue, do not date me because you'll be wasting my time. And he broke the rule. Beyond that, my self-worth was so low that I knew that if I didn't take this opportunity to get away, that I never would and that I would be stuck in a relationship where I don't trust this person ever again. Because, again, we were dating. It's not like we were married and I had, you know made a commitment which his parents tried to convince me that I should stay because we were going to get married. Sure. But I I just couldn't do it. And I knew that my life and my my marriage would be very toxic and unhealthy because I could never trust him and I would be driving myself nuts for the rest of my life, questioning every decision or every little, you know, time he didn't text me back sure. or, or yeah. any little thing would just send me into a downward spiral so I broke up with him it was really traumatic I remember sitting with him in his living room one last time and I said I'm gonna ask you every question I ever had and I was raging mad I was so angry I was screaming at him and I found out that it was way worse than what I had been told initially but then I also just felt so dumb Like, how could I have been with this person for so long? And for it to have been going on, he drove me in a car when he was high. Like, how could I not see that? I felt so duped and taken advantage of and just like a total idiot. That was really hard because I did care about him a lot. I just felt like, again, I had chosen poorly and like I couldn't even trust myself to make good decisions. Um, because this was like multiple times in these relationships that I had chosen people that I thought were good and just ended up hurting me in the end.
1: Well, and like so much of it is the pursuit of being loved and being wanted. And it's really easy, and, and we preach about this from time. When we talk about like dating relationships and marriage, it's like, it's really complicated to tell people at collective, Hey, you should break up with that significant other. If you're not running at the same pace, that is the right advice. And I stand by that and I'll never not stand by that. And people at collective can get angry about it or ignore it all they want. But the amount of people that are in your space right now that are saying, Hey, that's not just a kind of red flag, but it's an incredible red flag. You just don't see how much of a red flag it is right now. Cause you're in it. That's and you know you when we seek out the like that love and that affection from other people that we long for from our parents specifically you know it, it's weird we we long for it from both parents but i think both men and women just long for it for it from their fathers specifically and all you're doing is trying to find something that you never really had fully that you haven't seen like the peak of you don't know what the love of a father like fully looks like or the love from a of, from a guy like fully looks like a man of god specifically and so you're like, you're like dabbling in it and like settling for something that's better. You know, there's a writer who says, good is the enemy of great. Right. But like, you've never had great. So good is great for you, you know, on your scale. Um, when you finish, when the last relationship happened with a guy, where you paid the guy to leave you alone, um, which there's a lot more that we could talk about that one. Cause there's more that comes up later that I think will leave. Off. And, and I do want to say this for, for any of you who are listening to the podcast, men or women, um, but specifically women, if you are in a relationship that is like this, um, you need to come find Rachel and talk to her about it. Uh, not because as she shared with you, like she crushed it on every single one, but like she now can look back and say, Hey, these are red flags. And, and if you're in those types of relationships, because there's more that we're not going to get to on this podcast, that is more of a private thing. But if you're a woman and you are in a relationship like. Right now, like come find me or come find Rachel on a Sunday, and we're gonna, we can talk to you and help you get out of that. But also understand that even when you're out, you're not out because those people do circle back into your life uh, later um, in incredibly terrifying ways.
2: Right. So during college and for a little bit after, I was going to McLean, McLean Bible Church, um, which also was really good for me at the time. I was not as consistent as I would have liked to be only because it was a drive. I mean, even from College Park, it was kind of a hike to get there. Um, And afterwards, when I graduated, I moved um, back home for a little while, but I pretty quickly bought a house in Towson just goes along with my life, that I'm gonna be like the responsible one, and at 23, I'm gonna buy my own house, and I'm going to rent out the other rooms so that I can offset some of my mortgage, and here we go, I got this under control. Which ended up being the start of a really dark time in my life. I had a friend from college move in with me. At this point, I had started working at Apple. I was in a, a leadership position, but their policy is that you cannot be friends with anyone that is working there that's at a level below you. So here I am, this recent college graduate, all of my friends have either moved away or gotten married because many of them did find their person in yeah. college, which I didn't. And so I'm in this environment where, and when I say like everyone under me, there was like 100 people under me and like four people over me. Wow. So most of the people that I worked with they were off limits. I wasn't able to be friends with them. Um, I had a church in Timonium that I was going to that also asked me to lead a small group, which can't say no. And (laughs) it's a position of responsibility. So I'm like, sure, I'll lead a small group. Meanwhile, my life is like imploding on the side. And I'm like leading these 50 and 60 year old women in my small group who have lived a whole lot of life and are just like, Rachel, you're so wise beyond your years. And I'm just like, cool. I'm glad you think that because you're wrong. Uh, um, But like, yeah, secretly dying a little bit inside because I am still struggling with this eating disorder. I was uh, working at multiple locations. So I was in this kind of like CT said with this Pepsi golden ticket thing. It was like a fast track to leadership program that I was in and that had me working at multiple locations. And so I developed feelings for this guy at one of my stores and as soon as I moved to the next store, we started dating. He was a really nice guy, but it was an unhealthy relationship and that ended pretty quickly, which then created tension at work. Hello, why I didn't think about that earlier. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Not sure why, Uh, but anyway, so that was that and then I did it again. Uh, This person was extremely toxic, um, very abusive to me in every sense of the word, um, got hit with flying objects numerous times, head thrown into the wall, like it was really, really ugly. And I had reached a point in my life where I was, my self-esteem and self-worth was so low that I didn't even care because he was there. Like he was a consistent presence. And even if it was a terrible, consistent presence, he was there and he spent time with me. And so I just let it happen. At some point, I literally paid him to go away because I tried to get like an order of protection or whatever they're called. And the courthouse told me that he would have to sign the paperwork as well. And looking back, I feel like there's no way that's true. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. But I had never encountered anything like this before in my life. I was never around people who had trouble with the law or like anything like that. So I didn't know what to do. I just believed them because I didn't have any experience otherwise. So I walked out of the courthouse bawling. Um, I really thought that I was going to die a few times throughout our relationship and then at the end. And yeah, it was just a really hard time.
1: How old are you?
2: 24, 25, and I had decided that I was done with men in general. Truly in my mind, in my heart, in every sense, I was like, okay, I am gonna lean into this position at work, I'm gonna lean into this small group leader position that I've been given, I am gonna be the coolest aunt ever when my siblings decide to have babies, like, I'm done. I There isn't a person out there for me who is gonna make me who's going to point me to Jesus or who's going to really live up to this imaginary person that I had been hearing about at that point for several years at that time. And I also was in a place where I felt like I had to be more introspective. So like, okay, Rachel, you are the common denominator here. So work on my relationship with Jesus. Because at that point I was more informed about really what that could look like and should look like. I was reading my Bible regularly I was participating in this small group. I feel like my church was pretty healthy at the time. Like, spiritually, I was in a place where I felt like I could handle it, especially now that I had this relief of this person who had been tearing me down, calling me horrible names. Like, this person was gone now. And so I could really focus on who I wanted to be as a whole person, that Rachel didn't need a significant other in order yep. to be a whole human being. Yep and in order to be worthy of the love that God offers us every day. And so I decided I was going to lean really hard into that and I was going to figure this out on my own with him, but on my own physically. And it wasn't too long after that, just a few months, that CT came back into my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we had met five years prior at Chris and Maggie's engagement party and CT said nothing clicked. I was really like- Smitten. Yes. I, <laughs> but you were also
1: searching. You, I was Yeah, searching. you were definitely- Yes,
2: yes. I definitely, like he caught my eye for sure, um, but I also wasn't really sure about my life at that point in time. And I was about to go to Maryland, back to Maryland uh, for another semester, and CT I think was going to ETSU. Back to Tennessee. Yeah, back, yeah, to, back Tennessee. to Tennessee. Yeah one of his years there and so we just hung out a few times over the summer but felt like nothing's really going to happen here because we're just living two different lives so we split ways but then coming full circle when i had made this decision that you know i'm gonna give up on men and Mm -hmm. i don't need anybody anymore enter god uh, with his sense of humor and timing so uh, ct had been living with chris and maggie at the time And I was getting my master's at the University of Florida. So I was gonna be down in Florida for a few weeks and Maggie was like, hey, you should stop by. We should, you know, have lunch together before your flight leaves. And so we went and I, you know, just caught her up on life. We hung out for a little bit and she mentioned that CT was living there. I was like, yeah, it's cool, whatever, and (laughs) that guy. And then uh, she came home and told CT about our conversation. Yeah, I didn't really think anything of it, I guess, at the time. But then CT was making his way up to Maine for a job that summer before he went to get his degree at BGSU, because you've listened to the last episode, so you know that. So he was passing through Maryland, where I was living at the time, and you reached out to me and said, let's hang out, because I'm gonna be passing through. And I was super skeptical, one, because I had been mildly interested before and CT was like, yeah, we're just gonna see you later. Uh, but also because I had made this like very resolute decision in my life that I did not need to have a boyfriend. And I had gone through these several very dramatic and traumatic relationships to where I was like, I am not gonna set myself up for this again. Like, I don't deserve this. I am worthy of love even if that only comes from God and it only comes from me for the rest of my life like I am not going to do this again and so I called Maggie and I said CT asked me but I kind of think this guy's a player like I don't think he's for real should I be hesitant about him like I I just you know 'Cause there's that little piece of you in the back of your mind that's like, Well God, if you wanted to what give if, me a good yeah, guy, yeah. like <laughs> sure, he's I'll take him. Man, only yeah. time. <laughs> like, I'll still take him, but I'll be okay yeah. on my own. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, she thankfully stuck up for you, calmed my nerves a little bit, and made me feel like this could be an okay decision. So then C T came up to DC.
1: Yeah, you guys fell in love and we it's magic.
2: Yeah, it's I, all magic.
1: I, I want to say this too because we didn't talk about it a lot on CT's podcast, but like CT kind of went through a similar phase of relationships and trying to find the right person and um, didn't end up in long relationships in those. You're, those were pretty short for short. you, yep. which did end up kind of, you know, like a small campus. Like on the outside looking in, people were like, oh, yeah, CT is like dating all these people. And it was just that he had a lot of clarity. But when you go to school with a 1,000 kids, it's not good. But it's interesting that you call Maggie and you just say, like, like, what about this dude? And five years ago when you guys met, if you made that same phone call, she'd be like, he's probably not ready. Considering everything you both went through, which obviously, like, no one wants you guys to go through those things, like the finding purpose and trying to find life and what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I supposed to do in this relationship? Like, it sucks that you guys went through all those things. But also, when you guys did meet up, you guys were in a place where you'd already realize what you didn't want.
0: hundred yeah. percent,
1: yeah. And that was some through experience, some through life. And so here you are both not looking for anything other than, hey, I just wanna figure out what this next phase of my life is with Jesus, you know? And you guys are then in D.C. together. So Rachel, CT says that he knew. God parted the heavens, <laughs> a dove came down. Uh, how did you feel? In all reality, your first date with a healthy Christian man. Yeah. Like, did you feel that? Could you see that something was different?
2: I definitely felt like something was different in my soul. I think it took me probably about a week and a half to realize that he was the guy that I was going to marry. But on that first date, I thought, I'm not going to let this one go. I was excited about a relationship for the first time in my life. I feel like the previous relationships, I was like, I'm longing for this attention and someone's gonna give it to me, so therefore I'm going to date them. But I was super excited to learn more about CT, to uh, just spend time with him and experience new things together. He just had like this passion for life that I didn't experience with anyone else and was just fun. Like, we had a great time. He explained it as you just know. It wasn't just that we had a good time. It's like the difference between happiness and joy. It was like I yeah. could feel that this was going to be something lasting, that this was going to be something that was around forever. And I can't explain it any other way that, yeah, I just knew that he was going to really make an impact on my life.
1: Well, and there's something really important here, and it's it's hard because like, you wish you could bottle it up or like create a formula for it. And Rachel, I know specifically you wish you could be like, here's the seven yes. rules to yes. finding this. But the difference is like you guys walk away that day and you're like, this feels different. And you didn't know what different was and you didn't know, but God is like saying, this is the this is the thing that I've been trying to tell you the whole entire time is you find somebody who loves me more than they love themselves, more than they love you, and they let that bleed into you yeah. and you feel the overflow of their love of Christ and, and you don't know it. You're longing for it and you're looking for it. And then you feel it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so what would be great is if like CT was in like, screw the PhD, <laughs> let's get married. But that's not what happened. That's right. What so happened. you guys finally get to a place where you're, you're getting healthier. Like neither of you would say like, we're the healthiest we've ever been. Right. Yeah. But it's like, we're at a really healthy place. Good perspective on life. Good direction. Good clarity. Yeah. Even from God. And you're up in Bowling Green, which for for people who don't know where Bowling Green is, it's in the middle of nowhere, right? It's somewhere around Toledo, right? Mm -hmm. Death and despair. Like, I mean, it's just, it is. There's (laughs) Jim Hartman who shared on the podcast previously that grew up in that area and he's like, Oh, it's the worst. Mm -hmm. But you guys like have this moment, but you're separate ways. Rachel, you've got a really big job down here. CT's up in Bowling Green. And you guys start dating, but it's long distance, Yes. Yeah. right? How long did you guys date for? We dated for just over a year. Yeah. From like first date to getting married.
2: Including our engagement.
1: Yeah. So you date, you get engaged pretty quickly. Eventually, Rachel, you move up to BG. Is that after you guys get married or did you? Yes. Okay. So you guys get married and you're like, I'm going to Bowling Green. Mm-hmm.
2: Which again, for me is a swerve because I like... Consistency. I lived in Bel Air my whole life, up to college. Uh, this is not a decision that I normally would have made. Yep. Um, and I do want to be clear to the people listening that CT is not my savior. And I feel like it could appear that way um, because I had such terrible relationships. But I just want to say that I had been praying about my person for years. And I, there was a very long time where I felt like God was not going to give that to me. Um, which I had come to to terms with and developed a piece for. Um, But CT was the first person who I felt like was encouraging me to go deeper in my faith and to really figure out who Jesus was to Rachel and how much he wanted to love me, meaning God wanted to love me. And so I just want to be clear that he filled that role in my life, but he is not my savior yeah so. um, and
1: one of the things too that happened when you guys were long distance was ct was leading yes. the relationship spiritually yes. yes right like he was the one saying we're gonna read the bible yes together and we're gonna pray together yep and even though you're apart right and that longing to be together is there like you're you're you when and you know you guys when you eventually get married and you get together and you're like oh my gosh it's so much better together than it is apart mm-hmm. but like you know, from the get, your relationship was centered on Christ, not on anything else, because you guys lived far away from each other.
2: Right. 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 There, was,
1: there was no physical side. That's pretty much through, all we had. That's all you had yeah. was yep. communication Yep. and, and Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. We got married in July. We moved to Bowling Green in August. And when I say moved, we were there. But also I was traveling back to Baltimore pretty much like every three weeks. Mm-hmm. I would go home and spend at least a week. Uh, for work at home and so our first year of marriage we basically killed each other I mean we were very Mm -hmm. close to completely falling apart maybe partly because we had only ever been in a relationship in long distance so part of it was learning how to live together which I'm sure lots of people experience Um, but then we also have this added stress of like all this traveling and this time apart we're together but we're not together Uh, we were leading a group of college students at the time so we're like figuring out this new dynamic of responsibility as a married couple CT's in school so he has late nights and he's studying all the time and my job was very demanding so it was a really really hard first year for us
0: we got married when I was 30 years old mm-hmm. so like my entire adult life There there was no significant relationship. So I don't know if I would call myself naturally selfish, but I never had to think about anybody besides yeah. myself. Sure. Yeah. And so all of a sudden for the first time, I am called to like love this person the way that Jesus loves me. And I was really, really bad at that, especially in our first year of marriage. And even before we got married, I think it was Michael who called us out and he said, you're both very selfish people right now yeah. and you gotta figure this out. But it took a, a long time of being together, our first place together, I really cherish it, but it was an apartment where you plugged the vacuum in one time and you vacuumed the whole entire apartment and you never have to like change mm-hmm. where your extension is in your core. So it was like it was very small. And so when it, when those times got ugly and when we were nasty to each other, there was nowhere to go. And it was just like constant tension that you felt. And she was in the airport waiting to come back and I said something to the effect of I just don't think we should have done this. And she's hysterically bawling in the airport, and I hang up the phone, and in that moment, I don't care, and I just start watching college football. And like that was some of our first year of marriage, which was very, very hard of learning how to love another person and put another person before yourself. Like we learned about this through Jesus our whole entire lives, but like now I actually have to do it. And it's hard and it doesn't feel good. And so that was a that was a major point of tension early on.
1: When you're doing that travel, and this is so much of the first year of the marriage in general, is as much as you date and have conversations, you don't really understand the impact of the way you were raised. You know, for Rachel, it's you. Like, you, your example of marriage and taking care of things in the house was one way. And then CT, you're on the other side going, you know, I understand what it's like to lose people. I don't want to lose people. So if I feel like I'm losing her, then I'm going to push her out because I'd rather not sit and have that moment I had when I was in middle school where we have to mourn the loss of this friendship. Like so, so much of your first year of marriage and really all of marriage is dealing with those things from the past in real time. Mm -hmm. Like therapy helps with that. Good friends help with that. Um, good church helps with that. Like it really does, but it's like, it's game time, all the game planning, that you could do, all the Bible studies you could read, all of those things, like, you know, it's the whole, once you get hit in the mouth, the plane goes out the window, and you guys get married, and it's good, right? Like, you guys know it's good, but it's just constantly like, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff that we have to deal with. We're away from everybody we know, um, at this point, CT, that's like the furthest you've been away from, like, your core group of friends. And we'd we'd kind of spread out all over the place. This was different. No one was coming up to Bowling Green. Um, Thanks, there guys. was no reason, you know. <laughs> yep. Rachel, for you, though, like, like, I mean, just calling it what it is, like, you'd had good relationships. But, like, at that point, you don't really have great life-giving relationships with people.
2: No, They're, I didn't have any friendships that I cared about. It was hard for me to leave my siblings and to leave my parents you know it felt isolating but looking back it was probably one of the best things that could have happened to us yep. because we had to learn how to fight mm-hmm. um, in a way that was respectful and loving we had to learn how to fight for each other instead of against each other
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I think that was a really big turning point in our marriage when we realized that it's us against the world yeah and after we realized that then It's not to say that our marriage is perfect today, but I think we, we quarrel a lot, a lot less about the things that don't matter. Like Mm -hmm. it was a filter that helped us to realize in that first year of marriage, the things that matter and the things that don't matter.
1: And so eventually you guys are in Bowling Green, Ray and I are down in, I think in Annapolis at the time. Um, And we're like, Hey, we're starting this church. We're starting in Frederick. Uh, Rachel, we had met a few times. Like you guys would come to town and we'd like hang out at five guys out in Columbia. Like we'd meet in the middle. Meanwhile, like knowing CT's life and your life and going, it's still hectic. Like, like, does Rachel want to go to Bowling Green? You know? And then all of a sudden like this world collides where CT for you, kind of the dream scenario for you was going back to Milligan and being a professor and that door is opening and you and Rachel are wrestling with that. And then Ray and I are like, Hey, but what if you guys move to Frederick and help us start this church? And you guys are, like, newly married. Rachel, you barely know us. You know, you guys kind of start working through the marriage stuff and and, and are, are, like, in sync now. And part of the in sync is this idea of maybe we're moving to Johnson City and, and maybe CT's taking over the communications department there. And... Typical Michael fashion, like, I'm incredulous about this. I'm like, no, like, this is the dream. Like, we dreamt about this at Applebee's. Rachel doesn't know this is the dream, but now she's part of the dream. Um, But we actually ask you guys, I'm pretty sure in that five guys, like, hey, we think you should wrestle with this. And Rachel, you're from Maryland. So that was kind of the end. CT, you're not from Maryland. But um, so much of the conversation from me to you guys um, was I went through assessment And they're like, hey, you're too introverted. You're not gonna be a good lead pastor. And one, if you tell me I'm not gonna be good at something, like, that's not gonna work. Uh, I'll prove you wrong. But two, like, I understood that. And it was not just, hey, move to be a part of this, but like, hey, I need you guys because my personality can't do it on my own. And I need people that can create space for people to feel welcome and loved and warm and cared for, like, all these things that you guys both excelled at these things that came from bad things in your life that have God had redeemed into good things and essentially saying, I need you guys here with me because I can't do this by myself and we can't do this alone. And you guys wrestled with it for a really long time. You guys like walked away from, CT specifically, the dream to move here. So like, why the heck did you two do that?
0: It was the spring of my second year of doctoral school, our first year married together and after you pass uh, a bunch of proficiency exams, you're called ABD, all but dissertation. So there's no more classes, so you can do your dissertation from distance. And so that's what we knew we were doing because we knew we weren't staying in Bowling Green. And I had even sat down with the president of Milligan College and said, what do I need to do to improve my standing to get this job that I knew was opening, that had been like years in the making. And then Michael and Ray interrupt our lives and they say, Hey, we have this thing going on. And so one night in our apartment at BG, we just sit down and we both pray. We sit and we're silent for a few minutes. And if you don't if you if you don't have this practice as a part of your life, I understand that it sounds weird where you ask God to speak to you. But we just sit and we're silent and we see if God listens and we see if God says anything. And after a few minutes, we we both open our eyes and we look at each other. And you spoke up first. You looked at me and you said, I think we're supposed to move to Maryland. And I said, I think we're supposed to do that also.
2: The only word I heard was go. But CT felt the same way. So Mm -hmm. that was it.
0: And that was it. And then one of the hardest phone calls I've still ever had to make is with my mentor and former professor at Milligan in the communication department and tell him that the dream that had been almost a decade in the making at this point, it wasn't going to happen because we were moving to Maryland. And that was a really hard conversation. There, there was internal tension about letting go of that dream because of how great Milligan had been for me. And I was like, I'm gonna give this to every student at Milligan, yeah. I'm gonna do this thing but also i think at the same time there was excitement in terms of we get to go be a part of this thing where we're not on staff we get to volunteer and we really get to make a impact for for heaven and people are going to go to heaven because of part of this thing that we're doing so it was it was it was kind of like the death of a dream while also simultaneously like the birth and excitement of There's a really cool thing that we get to go deal.
1: Yeah. I remember when you and Ray told us you guys (laughs) were coming with us and we got off the phone and we're like, what the heck is happening right now? You know, but we, the way we felt was understanding that Ray and I could not do this alone, understanding personality wise, like I was going to be good at some things and not good at others. It very much felt like for us, like God was saying, Hey, I've got those missing pieces that you know are missing, like they're on their way. And for other people, like, you hear this podcast and you're going to say, that's insane. It is insane because you guys move here. And, Rachel, you do have a, a job at Northrop. So, like, you were able to, like, you know, you finagled the Bowling Green year and all that stuff. But CT, like, you show up here working on your dissertation, no job. No job. No prospects of job.
0: Pregnant. I'm New about to have child. a baby. Oh, pregnant, yeah. About
2: to have yes. a baby in two months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And CT has no job. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And... We're starting this church, which had been, and Ray and I will share on a later podcast, a very bumpy road. Mm -hmm. Like, by no means did you guys say yes, the wells say yes, we say yes, and God's like clear path. It was like wall, 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 wall. And uh, CT, I think uh, I remember like in the beginning, you're like, I got to work something. Mm -hmm. And you like did flyers until you could figure out, like, how do I get into uh, teaching here? Mm -hmm. But eventually...
0: Every college or university within an hour of where we lived, I I went to, I looked up and found a department chair of the communication department and slid a resume under their door. About a week before the start of the semester, I get an email from my current department chair at Frederick Community College. I think she had more classes than she was expecting and she needed somebody to fill them and she pulled out that resume and she gave me a chance and she said, I have one class for you, do you want it? And again, this was the (laughs) only opportunity in front of me. This is kind of a theme here. So I said, absolutely, I want this. And then one turned into two, which turned into three that first semester. And that was the start of God providing for me a job in the communication department at Frederick Community College. Some people would call it fate, I call it God's timing. I was there for one year part-time as an adjunct, and the college gave the communication department funding for a full-time faculty position. No other adjunct, when they found out that I applied for the job, bothered to apply. And God provided that really huge domino and that really huge question mark that we had been feeling.
1: Yeah, Um, so I want to ask you guys, like that God says go to Frederick, why trust God to the point of putting yourself in that position just because he said go?
0: As you read the Bible, you understand one of the most important things for you to do, language we use here, is to create space for other people to bump into Jesus. That is one of the most important things you do with your life. So One thing that I love to say all the time, I, I say it when I get to speak on Sunday mornings, one of the most important days of your life is when you realize that your life is not about you at all. And so I think what was really captivating, at least for me, is I could go back to Tennessee. It would be very comfortable. I would have a great job. I could go back to a great church. And my whole entire life, primarily, would be people who are already going to heaven. Yeah. And that's cool, and that's fine, and it has its place. But there, there's this challenge of embrace this new place, it's gonna be really hard. People don't know Jesus, they don't necessarily even care about Jesus, but people are gonna go to heaven because of what this church is doing in this town. Do you wanna be a part of that? At at least for me, how could I say no to that? Sure. Sure, I could choose a more comfortable life, but we're not called to be comfortable anyways. Right.
2: Yeah, I think for me, I would echo a lot of the same things At the time, it wasn't necessarily that we were super passionate about Frederick because, honestly, we didn't really know anything about Frederick, but we are passionate about people and helping those people find Jesus, helping people through hard times, like some of the things that you've heard on this podcast. Um, Even going through the process of recording this podcast for many people is a challenge, and we knew that if we moved here, we were saying yes to— helping people to find Jesus, but we were also saying yes to being challenged and growing in our own marriage forever, and that's what we want for our family. We knew we wanted to have kids. That's the kind of environment and the kind of community that we want our kids to grow up in, so God has shown up at every corner. Every time we have an obstacle, He has very clearly been in our decisions, through our decisions, provided for us at every turn, and I think it was it was crazy, kind of, um, but we also just had like this underlying piece that it came to us both at the same time that we knew we were supposed to go. And even from the beginning, we just felt like, okay, like this is where God is asking us to go, and therefore we are going to trust that he's going to provide for us from here on out. And he has. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's been easy. We've definitely had trials along the way. There's been... Hard times and heartbreak, but we are so grateful for this church, and we don't really know life without it anymore.
1: A lot of people don't know this, but when we started Collective CT and Rachel started our connections team, and so people say, "Oh man, the energy here is so great. Everyone's so welcoming." It's like, yeah, because this was created by CT and Rachel. Like this, you know, this wasn't. It wasn't me. It was me understanding. Like I'm not going to create the best lobby for people, and you guys took that mantle and eventually grew it to the point where we could hire a staff member who could take that culture and move it forward. And you guys have hosted small groups in your home. You guys have baptized a ton of people. Um, and it was cool is like, we've seen God move in all the ways that you hoped he would like he's he's moved. But I do want to talk about, um, one of the things you mentioned is like, yeah, like you trusted God, you did what he asked you to do. So many good things have happened, but there have also been other hard things. And, um, You know, we would miss out on an opportunity to talk through, like, hey, even in seeing God's presence and all of it, it doesn't mean that everything is perfect. Um, And a few years ago, you know, in the middle of, honestly, like really good things, you know, CT's moving up in his job. Rachel, your job's getting easier. House, you know, at the time, two kids, but then things got hard again. And so if you don't mind, you know, I'd love for you guys to kind of share about Sanibel. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah
2: yeah so we had two girls at the time um and we went into our marriage thinking oh we're gonna have four or five kids and then we became parents (laughs) (laughs) okay maybe not this feels like a lot Uh, but we were really kind of on the fence about number three because we felt really comfortable with number two we had figured out having two kids two parents two kids you know you can kind of divide and conquer so we were like you know, do we want to do this again? Yeah, we think we want to do this again. So uh, we tried for a while, um, which was different, uh, being patient and feeling like, okay, we were kind of unsure about this, but then we became really sure, and all the while it's not happening, and why isn't it happening? Like this is weird and different and feels really hard. But then eventually we got pregnant, Uh, We were obviously really excited, and we had told family and friends, and it was right around Christmas time that we, yeah, we went to the doctor. Things weren't looking right, so we went back quickly for another follow-up after that, and uh, they couldn't find a heartbeat. Uh, This was right around Christmas, and for anyone who has ever gone through something like this, Um, you understand how painful it is. But for those who don't, it is not a one-time occurrence. When you have a miscarriage, you are actively going through symptoms for several weeks, uh, which I had no idea. I had to essentially force this baby out of my body through a pill, which feels really unnatural and feels inhumane, honestly. And to be doing this at Christmas time was just really, really hard on us and really painful because you're dealing with the loss of this baby that you had hoped for and prayed for and already made plans for in your head. Um, But then you're also experiencing like this rejection and just like a, a physical pain, but also just a grief and a loss. Um, And so that was a really difficult several months for us following that. Um, And so we we continued to pray on that. We continued to cling to each other and to Jesus as we healed through this grief. And I don't think we were even really sure what was going to happen after that. But in the end, we ended up getting pregnant again uh, with McKenna. Was our third, and McKenna certainly doesn't replace the baby that was, um, because that's not how people work. We're all unique and different in our own way. Um, but we had just come to a place where we felt really sad and really hopeful at the same time, like, yes, we, you know, we, we think that we wanna try again. And so we did, and um, long story short, Makeda was born almost to the day of when we found out that I had started miscarrying Sanibel the year before and so um, while it is a part of our story and will always be a part of our story we also feel like God really showed up for us and that he restored that time of year Um, it will always have a mix of emotions for us but we just felt like the timing couldn't be anything other than god um, that she would be born right at that same time and she's beautiful obviously we love her um, but i think it just speaks to the fact that like god wants good things for our life he doesn't want us to be in pain and that even though bad things do happen and will happen that we can now share our story, we can help people through that pain, and he's given us the gift of, McKenna, too.
1: Yeah, and, and the reason why I ask you guys to share is because oftentimes I think people misunderstand faith as you go through these really hard things, you find faith in Jesus, or your faith kind of hits a, a point where it's like real, yeah. you know. And Rachel, for you, that was like you grew up in the church, you grew up in the church, but there was these times I was like this is real now this is a part of my life but like now it's mine it's part of my life it's my thing that i have with god my relationship and then people often believe like you start seeing god move which which we did in incredible ways and you're like this is good this is great better than we we could have thought and a lot of people misunderstand that 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 is then the trajectory for the rest of your life with god and life and pain and sorrow and we kind of try to tell ourselves that, well, if we're doing the best we can to love Jesus, then everything will be good, and um, it's not the way life works. On the one hand, God asks you to do this very scary thing. You do it, and he shows up in so many ways. But on the other hand, life is still life, and there's still these moments where, like, this sucks. This is not what I asked for. And, you know, sometimes we struggle with that, and we'll go, God, I did all these things for you, then therefore, why does this happen? And we try to, like find reason and compartmentalization for it. Um, But one of the things that faith really is about is in those low moments, your relationship with God, because he's shown up in so many ways, like you feel closer to him. And it's hard for people to explain that in a miscarriage, like in loss, there is a, I felt closer to God, you know, but that is what it is when you have a good relationship with him. And for you guys, you went through this terrible thing. It's not something that, Um, We do not believe everything happens for a reason or God's got this plan with it. What we believe is that God can take a terrible thing and turn it into a really good thing. And um, God's done that. Um, You know, your small group, uh, you know, last fall, it, it hit multiple families, similar things. And there you guys are as a community, because you guys have been honest and open and real about it you know, bringing comfort to others, but understanding that, like, Hey, we're not in this alone. And God took this really terrible thing for a lot of couples and turned it into um, this very beautiful thing. And um, you know, and that's the story of Sanibel. Like that's the, the thing that she's done and the impact that she's had on you guys and in this church as well. You know, people who are new at collective when you, when you come into this space and you're like, man, like I just feel so loved here from the start, from the get, The reason why it's so important you share your guys' story is because so much of your story is you guys going through these really hard things in your lives, longing for love, longing for acceptance, longing to be cared for, to be seen, to be loved the way, you know, by people, the way Jesus loves us, not receiving that in a lot of ways, experiencing it sometimes, experiencing it with some relationships and going, oh, that's what it is. And you guys have taken like all these really hard things in your life that you're still working through, still processing, still kind of getting healthy on some of them. Some are healthier than others. Kids make everything unhealthy again. And you've created this space at Collective where people always feel loved and cared for. And so I just want to say to everybody who's listening to the podcast, like you don't know what God can do with the bad things in your life, with the pain in your life, with the bad decisions in your life, with the things you didn't ask for, with the way that you were raised, with all of those things that create tension, God can turn them into incredible, incredible stories. And one thing that is true about you guys is that there are a lot of people who found that love and care here because of you guys and because of the risk you took and then taking what God has given you, the good and the bad, and turning it into this like beautiful thing that is called collective. And so my hope is that when people listen to this story, they understand that like, the thing that they're going through, that tension that they feel... God can bless that if they lean in. But so much of the love that that people feel when they come here isn't me. <laughs> it's me understanding I'm not good at this stuff, and I need people that are, and you guys have done that. You know, So much of who you are is this church, and a lot of people think it's just the lead pastor and his wife, and it's like, I'm not who I am without the Thompsons, and Collective is not Collective without the Thompsons as well. This is This is God. If you wanna know who God is, this is God. Um, So let's do uh, one of my favorite parts of the podcast is wisdom. So in light of everything that you guys have been through in your life, um, what wisdom would you share? And and understanding that there's different phases of your life and different things you could share. um, Also understanding that for everybody that's in your life at Collective, you guys are constantly sharing wisdom with them when it comes to wisdom with marriage, wisdom with kids. Um, You guys do all of our financial stuff for Collective, so there's wisdom with finances. So it could be any of those things, but if there's like one piece of advice, piece of wisdom you would give people in light of kind of the whole big thing, what would that be? And we'll start with CT. I think looking back
0: at my story, if you listen to part one of this podcast, especially the very beginning, you'll probably notice that my voice was shaky because I I get very nervous before I do these kinds of things. And one big part of my upbringing was being too scared to speak up and not sharing my voice or, or not voicing my opinion about anything. And if you think about hurts or fears or vulnerabilities or things that sin in your life has caused, all these negative things, if you let God restore those things, it can turn into something incredibly beautiful that can become a life passion because so much of my life I've been too scared to speak. And now my job is to teach other people how to speak and is to use my voice. And I really feel like God is redeeming that early childhood part of my story with this little kid who was too afraid to speak up. And now it's what I do every day for my life and I love it. And I'm so passionate about it. And I feel like God is redeeming that part of my story But that really only happens when you give him all of the negative and you allow God into those vulnerabilities, whether that's yelling at God out of anger or frustration or fear. like If you let God into those emotions and those experiences, he can do really awesome things with it. That's really good. Rachel, what you got?
2: I think what I want people to know is that I spent most of my life wondering if I was good enough for anyone or anything or for love or for belonging or acceptance and I want everyone to know that they are and that God's love is available to them each and every day Um, and the people that you want in your life and the people that you should have in your life are people who are pointing you to that love and if you ever question is this what love feels like You're probably, that's probably a flag, and you need to take a step back because while it won't always be easy, God's love is always good. And that His love isn't about what can God do for me, it's about who God is and who He can be in your life. Um, I would be happy to talk to anybody more about that, but I just want people to know that everything about you, your faults, your idiosyncrasies, your quirks, your pain, your traumas, all of your weaknesses, they are perfect and beautiful in God's eyes. And he takes you just where you are and he wants to love you right now and that there's nothing you need to do to be able to change that.
1: Thank you, Rachel. Um, So last question, I think one of the coolest questions that we get to wrestle with on the podcast, scripture, Right you know every person that shares their story on their podcast we always ask about scripture because scripture really is the underlying thing that gets them from where they are to where they're going um, so if you had one or a few verses um, that were kind of your favorites they're your go-to what would it be and ct will go with you first
0: i love proverbs four twenty-three. the the author of proverbs one of the wisest guy who ever lived Proverbs four twenty three. above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life or, or other translations say everything you do flows from it. And I love the proactive guarding of everything that you do. Guard your heart. Our girls have memorized that. We have memorized that. It's one of our family Bible verses that we stand by above all else. Guard your heart.
1: Yeah. Wonderful.
2: Um, the one that I've been coming back to recently is in Daniel and it's, Uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar asks uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo to uh, basically fall and worship an idol at the sound of music, and they refuse to do it. Um, And so it's verses 17 and 18 in chapter 3. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And I just love that because we all go through hard times, but it doesn't change who God is and what he's able to handle. And the fact that we all come to him with trials and with things that we're worried about and with pain and brokenness that he can literally take all of us in our complexity times every single person in the world and he's still bigger than that and he's still good through all of that
1: Yeah, i I love that that story i i love the line even if he doesn't yeah and when you have a full faith and an understanding of how good god is you can say even if he doesn't like i know he's still good and i know he's still there ct and rachel thank you you know for for me to be able to sit down with you guys and hear you share kind of the fullness of your story, knowing the story, but get, getting to be on this podcast with you guys um, really is a dream come true. And um, we've been through a lot together and um, our friendship is very deep and wide and messy and wonderful at the same time. But I do, I do say this in, in full sincerity, when Ray and I were, felt called to plant this church, we didn't feel called alone. And we didn't know what that meant. We just knew, and specifically I knew, that as a person, I needed people who could do the things I couldn't do. And that culture and that DNA of hospitality and loving other people and making sure people feel seen and cared for is one that you guys brought through all of their pain to this church. And I am thankful for that. Um, I know people are thankful for that. So I do want to encourage you who are listening to the podcast today. If you feel when you walk into Collective like you're seen and cared for, make sure to let CT and Rachel know because um, they give so much time to this church. Like we're talking like side hustle, part time job time, if not more. Um, CT is an overseer. Uh, He helps protect me and my family, care for me and my family, make sure we're well um, so I can give my best foot forward. You know, CT preaches for us. He hosts for us. He's an usher. He does the Collective Plus stuff. Rachel is our CFO. She handles all the finances at this really high level. Um, I took one math class in college, so Rachel is in charge of numbers. Um, She runs a team. She makes sure that we are staying on the track of good stewardship that God calls us to stay on, you guys have led groups, you've hosted groups, you've sat down one on one with couples in our church who are struggling through loss or marital issues, who are fighting and think, oh my gosh, you're not allowed to fight in marriage. And you're like, let's chat about what it looks like to fight in marriage. Um, you know, you guys have have done everything, and um, collective wouldn't be collective without you, and so I'm thankful for it. I hate what both of you guys have gone through in your life but I'm thankful that you've decided to instead of sitting in that space to say okay God like I didn't want any of this but do something with it and um, I think we see that every single day every single week at this church so thank you guys for the time today and sharing your story Um, love you guys a lot love you thanks for having us thank
2: you